be awake at the beginning of the sermon. Hopefully you will be at the end as well. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to the passage that Larry just read. Uh, we are going to be looking at uh, the Gospel of Matthew again, chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 18 and uh, working our way through verse 25. Part 1 of What Child Is This? What do we learn about what child is this from the revelation of God to Joseph? Uh, at least three things that we'll be taking a look at this morning. I trust that you're there. Let's pray, and we'll dive right in. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of looking at uh, the, the account of the birth of your son. Lord, open our eyes afresh to see who he is, to answer this all-significant question, what child is this? He is unlike any other child that has ever been or ever will be conceived and born into this world. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he is Jesus. Yahweh the Lord saves because he will save his people from our sins. We are so grateful, Jesus, that you save us from our sins. Open our eyes, we pray, through the power of the Spirit. We ask it in the the name of Jesus and God's people together said, amen. Well, as the story goes, a Sunday school class at a local church was putting together a Christmas pageant, as uh, churches often do, which, of course, as pageants often do, included the story of Mary and Joseph coming into the inn. Well, there was one little boy who very, uh, very much wanted to be Joseph. He wanted to play the role of Joseph. But when the parts were handed out, he didn't like the part that he was given. He was given the part of the innkeeper, instead of the role of Joseph, which he really wanted. And on top of that, which was even more upsetting, was his, uh, his rival, his arch enemy, the, the young boy in the class that he just didn't get along with. Well, that young man got the coveted part of Joseph. So he didn't tell the director. He just quietly schemed and learned his lines, and he wanted to get back at the young man who took his, his role. And so finally, the night of the performance came, and Mary and Joseph uh, walked up onto the stage, and they knocked on the door of the inn. And of course, the young man who was the innkeeper opened the door and uh, gruffly asked them what they wanted, uh, to which Joseph answered, well, we'd like to have a room for the night right on script. And then all of a sudden, the innkeeper threw the door wide open and said, great, come on in. We've got the best room in the house, all for you. That's one way to wreck a Christmas pageant, is it not? You know, I think it's admirable that this young man wanted to play the role of Joseph, even if it was for selfish reasons. And and in reality, what we could do this morning is we could have a sermon on the character of Joseph, and we could look at the character traits that are admirable and and praiseworthy, and that is a whole other sermon. But, but this is what I'd like for us to do this morning. I'd like to look at God's revelation to Joseph concerning Jesus and answer the question in part, what child is this? Because Jesus is the hero of the story. The story is not about Joseph. It's not about Mary. It's not about the Magi. It's not about the shepherds. The story is about Jesus and discovering who he is. Is. And so if you haven't already, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 18, and I want us to see three things that this passage reveals to us, answering the question, what child is this? In verse 18 and in verse 25, we're going to see that Jesus was conceived 
by the Holy Spirit, and that he was born of the Virgin Mary, number one. Number two, we're going to see from verse 18, excuse me, verse 25, that he was commissioned to be our Savior. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he was commissioned to be our Savior. And then third, we're going to see that he was called Emmanuel. He was called by the name Emmanuel. So let's begin in verse 18. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, dating back all the way to the earliest centuries of Christianity. The true church has always affirmed the truth that we see revealed to us in this passage and in others, namely, namely, the spirit conception and the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. For instance, one of the earliest creeds that we get in Christianity, it's probably well familiar to you, it's called the, the Apostles' Creed, and in part, it states this, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. And then it says these words, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. The church has always believed the truths revealed to us in this passage. A little bit later on, we get the Nicene Creed, another fundamental creed of the early church as the church fathers gathered together to affirm who is God and who is Jesus and who is the Holy Spirit. The Nicene Creed also affirms of Jesus, quote, that he, he came down from heaven, the incarnation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. See, the early church has always affirmed what we see in these passages. And of course, they were just affirming what the scriptures taught, right? They weren't creating doctrine. They were affirming doctrine that we saw that we see here in this text. Yet, it is amazing to me that many, many in our day, both skeptics and so-called believers alike, question or outright deny the plain teaching of the Scripture, the conception by the Holy Spirit, and the virgin birth of Jesus. Maybe you've heard uh, what Rob Bell wrote in his book, his early book, Velvet Elvis. He said this, and and I quote, What if tomorrow someone digs up definitive proof that Jesus has a real earthly biological father named Larry, and archaeologists find Larry's tomb, and they do DNA samples and prove beyond a shadow of of a doubt that the virgin birth was really just a bit of mythologizing? And then he asks us this question, could you still be a Christian? Or does the whole thing, that is the whole Christian faith, Or does the whole thing fall apart? Of course, he's suggesting that it wouldn't fall apart if his scenario was played out. More recently, uh, megachurch pastor Andy Stanley made similar comments in one of his sermons. And he said this, and I quote, Christianity doesn't hinge on the truth or the stories around the birth of Jesus. If someone can predict their own death and their own resurrection— I'm not all that concerned about how they got into the world, end quote. Now, I find that last comment particularly interesting. 
It's funny because the Bible, contrary to what he says, the Bible seems to be very concerned about how Jesus, quote, got into the world. Does it not? Because in three of the gospel accounts, we get stories of how it happened. The Bible, my friends, seems very concerned about the virgin birth and the conception of the Holy Spirit. Of course, the objection here, and almost always that is raised when people doubt or question uh, this truth, seems to, to linger around the supernatural nature of it all, right? Because virgin and birth typically don't go together, right? They just don't go together. The supernatural nature of it all, people just simply say, you know, that's that's just impossible, right? It's just impossible. Babies aren't born to virgins. And to that, we would say, you're right. That's the point, right? That is the point of miracles, is that God does something not natural, but supernatural. That God intervenes in his creation in such a way to make clear that what he is doing is from him, we would agree with that. That's the point. The great southern twanged pastor, as all great pastors are, by the way, the great southern twanged pastor, J. Vernon McGee, once preached a sermon on Mary, and he called her, much to the horror of his, his hearers, the first skeptic of the virgin birth. The first, first skeptic of the virgin birth, because this is what she said in response to the angel. How can this be? Since I'm a virgin. How can this be? Because I'm a virgin. See, Mary knew that babies don't come from virgins. She knew that, and yet, inside of her womb was the Messiah, Jesus Christ. She knew that. This is a supernatural occurrence. So, what do we learn? Let's take a look at verse 18. The first thing we learn from this account is that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So Mary and Joseph were in what was a typically one-year sort of betrothal or engagement period commonly practiced by the Jews in that day. They were legally considered to be married, but they had yet to consummate that marriage. And it was during, it was during this time, it was during that one-year period that, I, I like the language here that Matthew uses, that Mary was, was found to be pregnant. It's, it's from Joseph's perspective, right? He discovered this, that she was pregnant. But then we get this all-important detail, She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That is, she had not broken her pledge of purity. She was still a virgin. The child in her womb was not conceived by the seed of man, but by the Holy Spirit of God. The angel Gabriel described to Mary over in Luke, you don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we, we get some poetic, uh, some, some poetic images of, of, of how this would happen in verse 26. He tells Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born 
will be called the Son of God. A little bit later in in our account, we see that Matthew reiterates the virgin conception again. Notice verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid, the angel tells him. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Why? Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So very clearly we see that that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But we also see in this passage that, that he was born of the Virgin Mary. Born of the Virgin Mary. Take a look at verse 25, if you have your Bible open. And we learn this detail. But he, speaking of Joseph, did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Very clearly then, when Jesus was born, Mary was still a virgin. But also very clearly as well, contrary to some teachings, uh, she and Joseph did consummate their union sometime after the birth of Jesus. Notice the language, but he did not consummate their marriage until, right? Until she gave birth. That is, later they did. We see the siblings of Jesus throughout the Gospels. And so the virgin conception uh, and the the virgin birth here is, is something that God did supernaturally. And he did that to avoid the fallen, sinful nature of of humanity, of the first Adam, the Bible says, being passed down to the second Adam, that is Jesus, allowing him to be a perfect Savior. See, after Adam's sin, every human being that is born or ever will be born is born with a sinful nature, a fallen nature. We are inclined to sin. We inherit the guilt of Adam, and we have a death sentence on our bodies. In fact, the the Bible says it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that sin entered the world through one man, Adam, through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. In fact, the the Puritans said it this way. They sort of had a catchy way of putting it. They said, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. So to avoid then the passing down of this nature, God arranged for the birth and the conception of his son to be supernatural in its origin. So, What child is this? Clearly from our passage, this child, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. But secondly, not only that, he was commissioned to be our Savior. We learn some vital details about who this baby would become, what he was destined to be. And we see it in verse 21. So turn there, if you will. There's an old saying that is often repeated. Maybe you've heard it before, but I'm going to repeat it again. It was true when it was written, and it's still true today. It goes like this. If our greatest need had been information, then God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need would have been technology, then God would have sent us a a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, well, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, then God would have sent us an entertainer. But, friends, our greatest need was forgiveness. And so God sent us a Savior. 
It's true then, and it's true today. So the second answer to this question posed to us by this carol, what child is this? He is Savior. He is our Savior. After telling Joseph that the baby uh, was from the Holy Spirit, the angel, angel continues to tell him and to tell us what the purpose then of this uh, conception and, and, and birth would be, right? Take a look at verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Why was he to be called this name? You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, the name of Jesus is significant. There's something in his name. It means Yahweh, or the Lord, saves. And so if you, if you read it this way, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name, the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. See, the Jews anticipated Messiah. They anticipated that the coming one would save them from political oppression, that, that he would purify the nation from their sins, maybe by uh, the, uh, by appealing to the Mosaic law, but there was really no notion that the Messiah would be one who would pay for the sins of the people, that he would be a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But that's exactly what we see described to us here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. He is Jesus. He is the Lord saves. That's why he's here, because we are sinful people. And we need deliverance from our sins. Stories told of a, of a pastor down in Kentucky. His name was uh, Clifford, Clifford Stewart. And the, as the story goes, one Christmas, now this was a few years ago, okay, so just think back of maybe 50 years. Um, he decided to send his parents um, some new technology for Christmas. And so he decided to purchase and send to them a microwave oven. Okay, so just think about when that was, right? A microwave oven. And here's how he recalls the experience. And I quote, They were excited that now they too could be a part of the instant generation. He said, When Dad unpacked the microwave and plugged it in, literally within seconds, the microwave transformed two smiles into two frowns. Even after reading the directions, they couldn't make it work. Two days later, he writes, my mother was playing bridge with a friend and confessed uh, her inability to get that microwave oven even to boil water. To get this darn thing to work, she exclaimed, I really don't need better directions. I just need my son to come along with the gift. Friends, when God gave us the gift of salvation, the first Christmas, he didn't send a booklet of complicated instructions for us to somehow figure out uh, and obey in order to be made right with him. He sent us his son. He sent us his son to be the payment for our sins, whose gift of forgiveness must be personally received and accepted. So what child is this? Well, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. And in verse 21, he was commissioned to be our Savior. That is why he came. Because we were a people and are a people in need of saving from our sins. Thirdly, what child is this? 
We see from verses 22 and 23 that he was called Emmanuel. He was called Emmanuel. The the third answer to this question is in a title. One of the many titles that the Bible gives to Jesus, it's a significant one. Let's look at verse 22. All this took place, Matthew tells us, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. That is Isaiah. And then he quotes that verse, Isaiah seven fourteen. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And then he tells us what that means, in case we were wondering. Which means, God with us. So here's something significant that we can't miss. Matthew tells us that the virgin conception and the virgin birth of Jesus, number one, fulfills Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And that the virgin conception and the virgin birth of Jesus connects or is related to the deity of Jesus. You see that? The virgin birth and the virgin conception is related to the divinity of Jesus. While this formal name, while the formal name of Jesus is Jesus, right? Like my name is Trey, it's my name, but I have a title, do I not? Many of you say, hi, Pastor Trey, right? I've got a formal name, it's Trey. My mama named me that, it's on my birth certificate. That's my name, Trey. But, but then we in life, many of us have, have titles, right? You call me Pastor So here we have a name. They shall call him Emmanuel. It is one of Jesus' many titles. And it means uh, God, God is with us. God is with us. And it gives us another really key component to the person of Jesus, right? He is, number one, God. He is, number one, God. And number two, he is with us. He is God with us. So just think about this title of Jesus with me, if you will, just for a moment. Number one, we see that Jesus is God, right? Very clearly, this is his title, God. He is God in the flesh. He is God incarnate. He is the God-man with two natures in one person. He is God. This passage affirms it very clearly, does it not? There's no getting around it. There's no denying it. Here, This passage claims that Jesus is divinity. Jesus himself claims that numerous times in the Gospels in various ways, like the one we saw last week. The rest rest of the New Testament clearly affirms the divinity of Jesus in him. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in in, in bodily form. We see that that this is none other other than than God. I want to share with you, in the moments we have remaining of a, of a phone conversation that I had this week in God's providence, uh, he put it on the heart of, of, a, of a gentleman by the name of Nelson. And I don't know Nelson's last name, uh, but this week in God's providence, because he knew that I would need a sermon illustration, he gave me one. And so I got a phone call at the church, and uh, I picked it up, and uh, he said, hello, can I speak to the pastor or teacher? And I said, I'm he. 
And he said, I've got a Bible question. Would you like, can I talk with you? I said, sure. And, uh, and this is in the, in the midst of just a crazy week, but I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll talk with you. All right, here we go. And uh, he says, well, I've got a, a question for you. And he began then to talk about uh, the Trinity. And he had lots of questions about how, is it three gods or, or, or one God? And he had lots of questions about Jesus. And I, and I came to realize very clear, uh, clearly, I wasn't exactly sure where he was coming from, but I think I knew where he was coming from because he was denying the Trinity. He was denying the, the divinity of Jesus. And he wanted to argue with me that Jesus never claimed to be God, and that the rest of the Bible never really affirms that, that Jesus is God, and so we sort of went back and forth, and all the while, um, his, uh, uh, the, the tension began to mount, and his voice began to sort of grow and, and, and escalate, and I tried to be calm and say, sir, I'd like to show you this, and he, and to make a long story short, at some point, um, he out and out was quite literally yelling into the phone, into my ear, I had to put it back here <laughs> and say, sir, this, this conversation is, is, is going nowhere. Um, I'm sorry, but you're yelling at me. He called me a liar and uh, all sorts of other things that I won't repeat here from the pulpit. And uh, I said, sir, I'm so sorry. I have to go. I don't want to hang up on you, but I I need to leave. And he kept ranting and raving. And so I said, I'm sorry. Click. And and I hung up on him. I didn't know what else to do. Um, But in God's providence, he knew that we would be learning this morning that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God, right? God. And secondly, he is God with us, with us. He is the God of heaven incarnate, come to earth to be one of us. The story is told of a European monarch in the ancient world who worried uh, his, his court by often disappearing. He would just leave and they would look for him. And what he would do is he, as the story goes, he would walk around sort of the marketplaces and incognito. He just wanted to, he wanted to know his people. And so when the, the court asked him, why are you doing that? Please don't do it. It's not safe for you. He said, quote, I cannot rule my people unless I know how they live. And, and I think that's what we see in a sense here in the birth of our Lord. It's as if Jesus is saying, I cannot save my people unless I become one of them, unless I know who they are, unless I am Emmanuel, God with us. So, my friends, what child is this? What child is this? For starters, we have seen from God's revelation to Joseph that uh, Jesus is, is conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was commissioned to be our Savior because, friends, we all are sinners, and we need someone to pay for the penalty of our sins so that we do not have to. And he is third. He is called Emmanuel. He is called God with us. And I think these three truths are summed up rather nicely in a poem that we'll close with by Marv and Maribeth Rosenthal. It's entitled, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Of course, it mimics the the well-known poem. It goes like this. Mary had the little lamb who lived before his birth, self-existent son of God from heaven he came to earth. Mary had the, the, the little lamb see him in yonder stall, virgin-born son of God, to save man from the fall. Mary had the little lamb, obedient son of God, everywhere the father led his feet were sure to trod. Mary had the little lamb crucified on the tree, 
the rejected Son of God, he died to set men free. And then it closes. Mary had the little lamb. Men placed him in the grave. Thinking they were done with him, to death he was no slave. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we can learn of your son. And not only what we can learn of your son, but what we can learn about us. Because here we not only learn that he was conceived by your supernatural power through the Holy Spirit, not only do we learn that he was indeed born of the Virgin Mary, but that he came to be our Savior. God, we confess that we are sinful people and that we cannot save ourselves that we have broken our relationship with you through our sin and self-reliance and rebellion and our idolatry, and we are infinitely lost and bound for an eternity in hell, separated from you, bearing the just punishment that we deserve. And in this lost and fallen state, unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Into this mess you sent your son, to become one of us because a human being had to pay the price for our sins. And so you added to his divinity humanity. And Jesus, you lived the life that we could not live, perfectly obedient to the Father. And you died the death that we deserved, bearing all of the Father's wrath. And you rose again in power, showing us that we too, through faith and faith alone in you, can have eternal life. And one day, we too, our very bodies, will be risen from the graves. This is our hope. And we are grateful for this gospel. And I pray, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, they don't know you personally through faith in this this baby, born a virgin, this baby conceived by the Holy Spirit, this baby that would grow up to be our Savior, who is God with us, then we pray even now that they would call out in repentance and ask for your forgiveness and turn and trust in you, your Son alone, for the forgiveness of sins. Father, for those of us who have, may um, this Christmas season, as we ponder the person of Christ, what child is this? Oh, impress upon our hearts over and over the glory of who he is. And may we find great joy in it, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for coming. See you next week.